It's a hit. Up until a week or so ago, you would probably never heard of Oliver Anthony. Now there's a pretty good chance you not only know who he is, but you've heard his song. It's a damn shame what the world's gotten to for people like me, people like you. Wish I could just wake up and it not be true, but it is. Oh, it is living in the It's called Rich Men North of Richmond, and it's just him and his funny-looking guitar that looks like a cross between a banjo and a guitar. And the words hit home. Not only has uh, his song gotten millions of views on YouTube, become the number one song in the country, but there are videos all over YouTube of people watching the video and reacting to it, including some famous rappers, black people, white people, old people, young people. And I don't know about you, but I don't remember any song taking off the way this one has. Of course, the Internet wasn't always around. But there's something about the message that really hits home, and not just with country music fans or rednecks or Republicans or conservatives. It's everybody, and that says a lot about how people are feeling about politicians in Washington right now. But what's the reaction from the rich men and women north of Richmond who work in the federal government? Republicans are going to like it because it's anti-government. And there was a time when this was a song that would have been directed at Democrats, but if the Democrats... Democrats agree with what he's saying about welfare cheats and low wages and high taxes and all that stuff. How do they sell the idea that they're out there fighting for the working man? When we come back, we'll talk to Christian Toto of HollywoodandToto.com about how the media and people in showbiz have been reacting. And in our second half hour, there's a Republican debate coming up on Wednesday, and it will not include Donald Trump. We'll talk to the Director of Strategic Communications at the Republican National Committee about that. Stick around. Well, the song is everywhere, and by now you've probably heard it somewhere. It's called Rich Men North of Richmond by Oliver Anthony. The message is basically that the federal government needs to get off our backs and do only what it's supposed to do, which is about as conservative a message as you can get. So how are liberals in the media and showbiz reacting? Christian Toto of HollywoodInToto.com is not a liberal, and he pays attention to stuff like this, and he joins us now. Christian, thanks for coming on again. Uh, My pleasure. So how have uh, your favorite showbiz media outlets been reacting to this sensation? Not well, and it's basically a rerun of Sound of Freedom. Of course, that was the independent film that made a whole bunch of money by exposing child sex trafficking. But because it seemed to uh, attract a right-of-center, Christian-based demographic, the media absolutely savaged it in, in ways that were beyond the pale even for our current media standards but we're seeing a lot of that going on right now with this new song it is fascinating to watch so what what kind of things are they saying about it what's not to like about it or or is it just a matter of ignoring it Uh, you know what they did was they mostly ignored it for multiple days they tried to hope that it would go away and then it didn't it just rocketed up the uh, the music charts and got lots and lots more attention so they had to address it and the way they address it is is multiple ways it's well, this is the song that's getting right-wing attention and, and right-wing influencers are in love with this song. You know, if the song spoke about raising the minimum wage or about climate change, would, would the media narrative on the song 
be left-wing influencers love this song? Of course not. But they need to attack it in any way possible. And it's a song that's hard to attack. Here's a guy who literally was an overnight sensation. Seems like he's heartfelt. It's not an explicitly, aggressively political song. It's sung with a lot of heart and a lot of soul. And it's, it's you know, on paper, it's just a wonderful story that this, this everyman made a song that connected with the public. That's the story. But they don't want to cover that story. They have to kind of cover it in the way they want to, which is negative, which is it's right wing and all the usual uh, ways that they that they attempt to demean it. And I, I want to mention one thing before I forget, because this is really important. Variety dragged their heels in the story, wouldn't cover it, wouldn't cover it. And they finally did. And they mentioned in their coverage of the story and of Oliver Anthony that they tried to do a deep dive on him because that's not his real name. So they found his real name. And they dug around for some dirt and they came up empty. And they basically said just that in their interview. And I'm thinking, this is the same media that just ignores uh, the Biden crime family, that ignores all these terrible real world situations. But you get a singer with a big song that didn't go through the usual channels. Well, they want to take him down. It's it's just fascinating to me. Well, yeah, that's um, well, first of all, um, why would liberals not love this song? It is all about the frustrations of the working man. How has that changed? What, they, they talk about, he talks about taxes are too high, but he also says that he's working for BS, uh, working overtime for BS pay. And that's the kind of thing that the, you know, the, it's the Democrats and the liberals who are out there saying raise the minimum wage and, you know, we need to, people are, uh, they're, they're anti corporation and all that stuff. So isn't there something in the song for everybody? You would think so, and I mostly agree, but the way there's, there's essentially a purity test going on on the left right now. You could have someone like J.K. Rowling, who is a beloved author. She created the Harry Potter franchise, and she is a progressive person just down to her toes. But when she came out and didn't agree with every element of the trans community, she became a pariah and, and still is a pariah. So we're seeing that if you can be left of center like a Bill Maher, like a Joe Rogan. And if you do something that's a little bit orthodox, if you lean to the right, if you suggest maybe the right has a point, or even if you embrace free speech, all of a sudden, it's all bets are off. And and I think that's what you're seeing with the song, with the singer and the coverage. What's interesting about this, though, to me, now that you you mentioned this about the way they react, I don't think, I, I think conservatives will... Obviously, uh, over the past, I don't know how many years, several years, conservatives are more than happy to cancel somebody or at least, um, if not blatantly boycott someone, stay away from someone's uh, material if they're overly liberal. But I think conservatives show up for concerts to see people whose views are pretty liberal and even whose lyrics are pretty liberal, uh, but liberals don't. Conservatives will go see uh, an old-time 60s or 70s rock band that is singing protest songs, uh, maybe that they liked when they were 20 years old, but they, they go back and they don't, they don't cancel them. I think there's two things there. I think, one, I think people on the right are generally a little more tolerant, especially today, and a little, a little more willing to accept people from different points of view. Bill Maher has said that when he goes on tour now, he has a pretty good smattering of left-of-center and right-of-center audience members. And he said that's, that hasn't been the case in recent years. So a lot of people, including myself, honestly, have been embracing Bill Maher, even though I don't vote the way Bill Maher votes. And I disagree with a lot of his politics. 
So I think that's part of it. But also on a pragmatic level, if you're a conservative, you just can't shut out all the voices on, in pop culture you don't like because you'll be sitting there, you know, maybe Lee Greenwood and John Rich and, and Kid Rock and, you know, you're done. <laughs> you just, you, I mean, you really have to be the, the pool of openly right of center people who align with your worldview in the artistic realm is small. And listen, some artists are hiding it, and I get that. And there's a fear factor there where they don't want to say with who they really are, and I understand that. But I'm just saying, generally speaking, if you want to be a true blue conservative and only support the artists who, who you know, reflect your values, you've you got a small pool to work with. You just do. Well, I'll tell you what. I, I went to see About My Father, uh, because it has um, Robert De Niro in it, and he, he played in Italian, which isn't that big of a stretch for him but <laughs> but but it was you know I, I knew it was robert de niro i i really didn't want to contribute to him making a few more million more dollars but you know I, I i i like to go to movies once in a while so i'm able to block it out i it shouldn't be that tough should it no you know it shouldn't i, I think there are for the most part there are very few actors who are basically radioactive whether it's on the left or the right i, I think sean penn has been broaching that area for a while I think some of his comments have been beyond the pale. And even I, I speak to a lot of conservatives who will say, you know, listen, I, I can't, I can't see a Sean Penn movie. And, you know, and they'll admit that he's a terrific actor, which he is he's got two Oscars. Yeah. But uh, yeah, listen, De Niro was a great actor. And, and to say, you know, kind of fold your arms and say, I'm not going to see any of his movies. I, I think that doesn't really benefit anyone. And also, you know, Sebastian Maniscalco may lean a little bit to the right. His late, last special really poked fun at some, uh, politically incorrect uh, topics, and, you know, it is a humble immigrant story as well. So you, you got to be careful there. It's, you know, you, if you want to punish De Niro, you may be punishing other people as well. We're talking to Christian Toto of uh, HollywoodandToto.com. So you mentioned uh, Variety said they, they came out and admitted that they did a deep dive trying to dig up dirt on this guy. Um, <laughs> they're not going to give up on that, though, are they? That's You have oh, to no. figure that they're running all over the place trying to find out where... Uh, going to his, uh, they'll be finding out his grade school teachers what they were saying about him. Well, I'm sure you remember the Joe the Plumber incident where mm -hmm. a, an everyday American came out, yep. and I believe I'm, I'm a little fuzzy. I think he just asked a hard question to Obama back. Oh in yeah, the day. yeah. And the next day, it was the, the media was all in. Who is Joe the Plumber? Is his name really Joe? What kind of a plumber is he? You know, you you don't pull out the stops on an everyday American unless you've got an extreme agenda. And that's what the media is. I mean, gosh, imagine what if Joe the Plumber asked that question today or something. He'd be, I mean, he, all his old tweets would come up. I mean, he'd, he'd have people knocking on his neighbor's houses, uh, looking through his trash. It's just incredible. You know, there's so many really important stories that should be covered in the media, and they're not. But, you know, listen, if Oliver Anthony says something untoward, if he, if he uh, denigrates someone or, or, or steps over the line, and you, you got to feel badly for the guy because he's been thrust into overnight fame and he's uh, hopefully enjoying himself and, and, and connecting with an audience and making, a, I could have a career here. You know, my whole life could be changing. But he really has to be careful right now because the media is out to get him. And one false move and, and all of a sudden the, the, the narrative will be just vicious against him. Just in, wait and see. In some ways that will make him more popular among conservatives um, if, if that happens, then I think that's inevitable. That's going to, it's just, a, I think, uh, tell me whether you disagree. I, I think it's just uh, a matter of to what degree they come after him and try to destroy him. It's not a matter I of whether, you're right. it's not, not an if, it's a when. I think you're right on both fronts, but I think for his sake, I think he'd rather enjoy certain amount of fame 
and, and get his music out there than have to deal with that. Yes, maybe he'll sell more if, if that happens, but I, I don't think he wants that. You just get the sense he's, you know, here's a guy who claims that he's getting offers and deals and all these different, uh, you know, projects coming his way, and he's turning them all down. He just wants to be independent, and he can be in this world. That's the amazing thing. You know, what's amazing about the story is here's a guy who went, you know, overnight sensation and who's able to make it by just being himself. He doesn't have a label. He doesn't have a team. He doesn't have a marketing crew. It's just him and his songs. And because of social media, he can just put it out there. That's an amazing story, but they're not going to write that story, even though that's a human interest tale that would appeal to everyone. And Rich Men North of Richmond is a really simple I think it, what makes it really good is its simplicity, the lyrics. Mm-hmm. It's it's really yeah, it's really well written, uh, and it's poetic in a certain way, but only because of the message more so than the actual poetry. Yeah, I agree, and I think when you, when you watch him sing, he pours his heart into it, yeah. and you can sense that. And oh, has, yeah. there's something about his voice that it isn't just a, a cookie cutter sound, you know. But also, some some people on the right, National Review, are saying, "Why doesn't he sing about this?" and but gosh, it's just one song. I mean, yeah. you're going to stick in every thought and every capitalistic endeavor <laughs> yeah. into a song. I mean, my, yeah. you, you got to cut the guy some slack. He had a vision. He had an idea. He had a frustration. He poured it into a song, and it connected with so many people. That's a that's a magical thing that just doesn't happen very often. There are videos all over YouTube showing other musicians, including rappers. I'm sure you've seen these reacting to the song. You can see them sitting there watching the video. And some of them are wiping away tears. They're, they're, uh, I'm not sure about, I, I could rattle off the names of all the, the, uh, the, the entertainers, but they're black and they're white, and they're, and they're not country singers. You know, I wasn't aware of that, and that is fascinating. But again, that's the power of the song. It's also the power of pop culture. You know, I cover this. Listen, I review a movie. It's not changing the world. It's not legislation. It's not a politician making a declaration. But it does impact things. You know, the new Barbie movie, I, I get emails all the time. You know, sales of pink polka dot bikinis are up, and, and this song is now on the charts because of the movie. These things impact us. They move the needle. They make us care. They make us uh, connect with, with thoughts. And, and I think that's another thing reason why you see the media reacting like it is. They don't want anyone on the right to have any sort of foothold, foothold in pop culture. That is their terrain. Stay away. Get off. And when someone encroaches on that property, they get angry. Well, I would suggest uh, if you're listening or if you, if, uh, for, or for you, Chris, if you haven't seen, if you just go on YouTube and search uh, react, reactions to um, Oliver Anthony, it's, uh, it's mm-hmm. amazing how many different videos there are of other people sitting and watching the movie, uh, the, the video, and seeing the facial expressions, uh, women crying when they're watching it. And, and they're not they're not country music fans and they're not mm-hmm. what you would consider to be conservatives. They look like, uh, they, you know, they're li- typical liberal, uh, people, liberal people from the entertainment world. And they're, they're, they're affected by this. So is there any chance that the, the legacy media will ever be any, be in any kind of mood to celebrate this? I mean, not, I'm not in a foreseeable future. I don't, I don't see that happening, but it is successful. It is happening. Uh, people are connecting with it, and th- that that's has to be enough. And I think the message of the song gets out there. And by the way, another thing that I think is so successful here is that it feels authentic. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of singers can write songs, and maybe they pour it from their hearts about their 
you know, they grew up in the South, they grew up in an urban area. They're singing about what they know. This guy's singing about what he knows, what's on his mind. And I think in pop culture, there are so few examples of people who are authentic. And I, I think about Joe Rogan, uh, maybe Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle left a, a, a gazillion dollar contract on the table with Comedy Central, gosh, maybe 15 or so years ago, because it didn't feel right to him. I mean, these are really artists who just care about what they do. And, you know, you could you can quibble with what they're up to and maybe say it's fake. Or, you can go back and forth. But yeah. I do think that we are hungry for authenticity, for something genuine. And I think that's another reason why the song has been so successful. Finishing up here with Christian Toto of HollywoodandToto.com. We've got a couple minutes left here, Christian. I have to ask you before you go about Snow White and Rachel Zegler. Um, <laughs> what a disaster. Yeah, it's a disaster. She's the young actress who's starring as Snow White. And, you know, she hasn't spoken up recently. These are older interviews tied to the Snow White project. But they've been recircling as circulating as, you know, what happens on social media. And she just keeps putting her foot in her mouth. I mean, she sounds like a almost a cliche of what a, a woke young actress is. You know, oh, this was this was a movie from the 30s and we need yeah. to update it. And, you know, uh, the, the, the prince in the movie, he's basically a stalker. We don't want there to be romance. This, this Snow White's a leader. We need to change it. You know, all this angry, heavy handed basically insulting the source material. And listen, you can do a nip or a talk on the, on the, on the Snow White story. I get that. But, you know, there's, there's a reason why we still care about Snow White. There's a reason why we still love that movie. There's a reason why it's still in the cultural mainstream is because it matters. And, and to insult it so aggressively and without the wisdom of being an older person, again, she's young. I get it. But you think <laughs> I would love to think that her handlers, the PR team, maybe someone at Disney would say, listen, Rachel, can, can you calm this down or, or maybe say something positive about how you loved it as a, watching as a kid? Heck, just lie. We don't, we don't care at this point. But, uh, you know, she's in a weird spot now because she can't talk about the movie now because there's a writer's strike and an actor's strike, and they're not allowed to, pr- they're not allowed to pr- uh, promote their new films. So here she is just sitting there while all these old clips circulate, and she looks bad, honestly. But, you know, again, just, she's a young woman. She'll grow. She'll She'll mature. Yeah. She'll understand the place that she's in in society and how lucky she is to get so many roles at such a young age and to think that she should maybe frame it a little differently. I think it would help the movie. It would help her career, too. i got 30 seconds left. I, I have a feeling I'm going to see a, a either a gay or a transgender prince. What are my chances? <laughs> you know, I think Disney's pushed the woke envelope so heavily here, including the removal of all the dwarfs. You don't get dwarfs. Yeah. I think they may right. be one, and then it's other. They're magically different creatures or I don't even know the verbiage. It just sounds, <laughs> it just sounds so exhausting. And the buzz of the movie couldn't be worse. Listen, maybe it'll make money. Maybe the Disney brand and all the people looking to take their kids to a, a kid friendly movie that could win over who knows. But right now, boy, it's a, it's, it's a train wreck and there's no, there's no relief in sight because she can't even speak up. Well, I, I appreciate you coming on as always, Christian. Uh, we'll talk again. Sounds good. Thank you. Okay, that's Christian Toto, HollywoodandToto.com. Well, there's a big debate uh, coming up day after tomorrow, day after the night after tomorrow night, Wednesday night. The Republicans uh, will have a debate. Uh, Donald Trump will not be there. We'll see what that has, how that affects the entertainment value of the debate, but it's still an important um, event. And it also is the, if you weren't, Convinced that we're into the political season, 
and we're coming up to where we're really going to be into the political season. You should be now once they start debating. Tommy Pickett is the RNC Director of Strategic Communications. That's the Republican National Committee, and he joins us now. Tommy, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me on. So um, Donald Trump's not going to be there. That's going to be the the elephant in the room is going to be the guy who's not in the room. What's that going to – how's that going to affect – how the debate goes and how it's received, do you think? Well, I think the debate's still going to be great. The debate's going to have a lot of Republican candidates that are going to be sharing their stories and their visions for the country. And I couldn't be more pumped to finally see that contrast to Joe Biden on the debate stage. Each campaign's going to make their own decisions about whether to attend the debate or not, but I think it's going to be a great opportunity for a lot of really great Republican candidates to go out there and, and to share their vision and really put that contrast between them and Joe Biden. Is there some value in Trump not being there because it, 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 he's, uh, he can be such a distraction and it will not be everybody attacking Donald Trump? It will be back and forth and maybe uh, – well, I, I, if I'm going to watch a debate, I want to see some uh, offense and defense. And I want to see what everybody does and how they react to uh, challenges. Are we going to see enough of that? Well, I'm sure there'll be plenty of offense and defense. I'm sure most of the offense will be directed against Joe Biden because he really is yeah. worthy of being attacked. Joe Biden has been such a disaster. Uh, and I think that the base is going to be great. It's going to be a great opportunity for a lot of candidates to really, really get up there and, and to share that vision. And it's really just the start of this nominating process. I mean, we made no secret that we wish all the Republican candidates that, that qualified to be on that debate stage, but it's still going to be a great debate. This is the start, official start of that nomination process. And it really is an, an amazing opportunity Republican candidates to get up there and really lay out that vision, say, here is why you should choose me, and here's why Joe Biden is such a failed president. And I think Americans are hungry for that alternative, and they're ready to really uh, vote out Joe Biden in 2024. I think every Republican who's watching is going to agree that Joe Biden's not the guy, and he's a, a failed president and, a, and probably a criminal on top of everything else. But how do, how do the how, what are the issues that these candidates have to separate themselves on? I mean, how, how much difference is there between them when it comes right down to who would do what in what situation? Well, I think one of the great things about being a Republican is that our policies work, and so they work across the country. Each one of these candidates has a really different background. They have a different record of success. They have all a record of success, but in different areas, in different ways, with different experiences. And I think that's how a lot of these candidates are going to try to try to differentiate themselves. But again, the common thread is that Republican ideas work. Republican policies have been proven again and again to be effective. And I think these candidates are going to go out there, they're going to share their experience, they're going to share their vision, they're going to share their policies. I'm sure there'll be some disagreements, like there always is, but the big and biggest disagreements is going to be between our candidates and Joe Biden, who time and time again has shown that he makes poor uh, judgment, has poor decisions, and has poor policies, policies that just flat out don't work, and they actually make things a lot worse. I, what is it, seven candidates now, or is it eight? I forget. Well, I don't really want to get ahead of the final count right now, but it's, it's right around that number. Okay. Um, and is there is – there, is, can a person be eliminated after one debate? A lot. I, I guess you could say that there could be any number of candidates who could maybe make a mark and uh, you know score some points. But is this a situation where one comment could get you – Canceled? Well, we all know these uh, debates in the past are, are really important. Uh, they're important for people to, to have, their, have a moment that really connects with voters or, or vice versa. I mean, I don't expect 
the latter to happen. I expect maybe more of an opportunity for candidates to connect with voters. So I think it's definitely possible for a candidate to have that moment to get out there and really connect with voters that maybe haven't seen them before. And that's why these debates are so important, because it is a massive platform. There's, there's going to be millions and millions of people watching across all types of different media. And so it's a great chance for these candidates to get out there and share their vision. And I think there probably will be a couple moments where voters say, hey, that's a great idea, or that was really well put. And I think that there are going to be some uh, uh, candidates that really have a moment to shine tonight. Uh, I would guess that uh, Vivek uh, Ramaswamy is a guy who's, who stands the biggest chance of gaining something because, you know, you and I know who he is. Uh, I do because I do a talk show. And there are still people out there who, uh, you know, have uh, a lot of people have not started paying attention to the presidential election yet and won't until a year from now. But this is someone who he could make a splash, couldn't he? Well, I think any candidate could really make a splash. And I think that's, again, why the huge audience is so important. To your point, this really is the start where a lot of people start paying attention to the nominating cycle. They start paying attention to presidential campaigns. This is really the official start of that. So a lot of people are tuning in for the first time. And I think it's a great opportunity for all of our candidates to really put forward their record and put forward their record directly to the American people, not with the spin of the media, not with the spin of of pundits or whoever it is, but really get a chance to stand up there and say, here's what I stand for. And you're right to point out that this is really when a lot of people start paying attention. So I think it's a a really unique opportunity, a great opportunity. And we really couldn't be more pumped to get this nominating cycle underway. We're talking to Tommy Piggott. He's the uh, director of strategic communications for the Republican National Committee. What what are the issues that you hope to hear discussed in detail Wednesday night? And I guess well, I aside big, from aside from we all can't stand Joe Biden. That that's you know we get that out of the way in the first minute. <laughs> well, there's a lot to say about that. So yeah. I don't know if it's just going to be the first minute, but right. you know it's. it's uh, uh, I, I think one of the things I, I really hope and I expect the candidates to talk a lot about it, is actually Bidenomics. I think that's going to be a term that Joe Biden coined when talking about his economic agenda. He's going to come to regret because I think. Americans are already associating, rightfully so, Bidenomics with higher taxes, inflation, higher interest rates. And I think really putting forward an agenda that contrasts with the Democrats' inflationary spending is going to be key to a lot of voters. But I also think other issues that the Democrats never want to talk about, such as the border, uh, such as the fentanyl crisis, that are really important issues that Democrats uh, ignore as often as they can, I think it's going to be quite the contrast because I think Republicans are going to talk about those issues. Republicans are actually going to address those issues. So Democrats cause these crises and then ignore them. Republicans are going to be taking them head on, offering solutions that that the American people are really craving. There have to be, uh, Tommy, there have to be some issues where these candidates disagree. It can't be a seven or eight person, whatever it ends up being, um, just assault on Joe Biden and the Democrats and singing the praises of Republicans. The point of the debate is to to. I, I, you know, to be honest, the point of the debate is to eliminate people. You, you can't still have eight people standing a year from now. Well, ultimately, the voters are going to decide who they want to represent them. But I think you're right to point out there are differences between our candidates and those candidates will be presenting those differences. But what unites us as Republicans is, is so much more than what divides us. Uh-huh. And ultimately, when when this nomination cycle is over, Republicans are going to come together to beat Joe Biden, because that is really the biggest difference here. So I do expect candidates to try to distinguish themselves, to talk about their record, whatever that is, whatever position they were in in the past, to say, here's why I'll be effective with the strategy, here's my specific agenda, and, and maybe there will be some disagreements. 
But what unites us as Republicans is so much more than what divides us. And, and that's why beating Joe Biden is so important. And um, wh- who's going to do the response for the Democrats? Do you know or will there be one? My understanding is I haven't really heard uh, of a response from the Democrats. Um, Joe Biden, uh, from from all I've heard, is going to go back on vacation back to Lake Tahoe. So my <laughs> sense is he'll be hiding. So. He's a little tired. You know, I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Only Joe Biden needs a vacation from his vacation. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of absurd. Uh, but uh, it's, uh, that's my understanding is he'll be hiding. And that's another contrast. Republicans out there showing up, connecting with voters, uh, taking interviews, whatever it is, really getting their message out there like they have been this entire nominating cycle versus Joe Biden, who's hiding uh, every chance that he can. Now, as someone uh, who's involved in this uh, on a daily basis, and you're you're involved in, or you're aware of what's going on with the polls and what people are saying and what's working, what's not working, as far as uh, the the Democrat, the Republicans against the Democrats goes. Um, what's the feeling you get about what is the most important thing? Is it uh, is it Joe Biden being corrupt? Or Joe Biden's policies being terrible is it? I mean, what what do you have to what do you have to focus on? Because because what's it's it, it, I just don't know how much attention. Here, here's I guess what I'm trying to say is you're you're going to be talking to an not you but these Republican candidates are going to be talking to an audience on Fox, uh, some of whom will be non many of whom will be non Fox viewers who don't even they may they don't even know one tenth of what we've found out about what was going on with hunter biden and the and the uh and the whistleblowers and the emails and all that stuff you and i know it people who listen to the show know it people who watch fox know it people who listen to conservative radio know it but there are going to be people tuning in that uh, are going to be hearing this for the first time as hard as that is to believe they're not they don't know that that's they may they hear rumblings that you know, the Bidens are corrupt and they think that ah, it's just a Republican sounding off. But is this an opportunity to actually maybe get some of that stuff out there to people who are non-Fox viewers and therefore are ignorant of a lot of the stuff that's going on? Well, I expect some of that to come up for sure. And I think it really does show the disservice that the mainstream media is doing uh, to the American public because so many Americans that, that are, 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 are don't even really know about what's going on. And that's because the mainstream media has really then everything they can to, to talk about it as little as possible. So I think there it definitely is an opportunity for that. And in terms of your earlier point about is it the policies or is it you know Biden's yeah. uh, influence peddling? I think it it it's kind of a bit of both in the sense that policies are really what drive home to people. You know when you go to the gas pump, when you go to the grocery store, why things uh, or how things are going. That prices are skyrocketing. But when you connect it to the fact that Joe Biden and his family have acted in such a to put a mildly questionable way for decades, I think that really connects the dots. It connects the dots for people to say that his policies aren't working, and not only that, his family is using his government position to benefit themselves. And I think that's a one-two punch in the terms of not only are his policies failing, but he's not even acting or trying to act on our best interests. And I think that is really important to drive home, that Joe Biden, for all of his effort to portray himself as Uncle Joe, which he calls himself, that really shows that, that that's a complete facade. That's not who he is. That's not who he is as president. He's the type of president that abandons Americans, that causes crises, while his family is making millions uh, while Joe Biden is in public office. That's the type of president Joe Biden is. Now, uh, the, the, the debate and the debaters, uh, I guess this is gonna, a, lot, a lot of it's going to depend on how, what the questions are from the moderators, but um, there's plenty to blast 
Joe Biden about, but how do you blast Joe? How do you not blast Joe Biden for his his and the and his uh, Justice Department's treatment of Trump without actually kind of coming to the to the defense of one of the people you're competing against, even though he's not there, and that being Donald Trump. Well, I think this gets to the point of what unites us as Republicans is a lot more than what divides us. I mean, it's it's shocking to millions of Americans to see this two-tier justice system where if your name's Biden, you seemingly get no consequences whatsoever for your actions versus President Trump and other Republicans, such as pro-life Americans or parents that show up to school board meetings that have been targeted by this DOJ. So I think that two-tiered system of justice that seems to target political opponents while giving a pass to anyone named Biden I think it's concerning to so many Americans, and that, again, is what unites us as Republicans to say that justice should be blind. It shouldn't be fueled by politics. It shouldn't be fueled by uh, uh, any sort of bias. It should be fair. It should be blind. It should be transparent. And I think any Republican uh, agrees with that. And, and how do you, do you do you think that one debate is enough to start separating the field a little bit? Or, or, or is it going well, to make them exactly lump, the voters, it's gonna, sorry, is it yeah, gonna lump them more together? I, you know, it's always kind of hard to know exactly how Americans are going to react to these debates, especially without uh, seeing the debate. It's, it's, it is such a, an amazing opportunity for all these candidates to really get out there and present their vision. Voters will start figuring out who they like, who they don't like. But I expect this to be a start of a, a nominating cycle where a lot of great ideas are put forward. There's a lot of maybe some disagreements back and forth, but coming together to really put a vision forward in this country and then coming together when it's over to beat Joe Biden in 2024. And when's the next debate? Do you know? Is it, is it scheduled already yet? The next debate is in September in uh, California. So the, the, the specials are a bit higher for that one. Um, but it's, it's going to be another great opportunity for the candidates to really present their visions. So we're, we got 14 months and the debates have just started. So uh, it should be interesting to see what happens in the first one. Tommy, uh, I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, thank you. Hey, thanks for having me on. Okay, that's Tommy Piggott, and he is the Director of Strategic Communications for the Republican National Committee, and we'll be right back. You know, the, <laughs> this, the Biden corruption thing is now reaching the point of comedy, as ridiculous as it is. For any normal person with a brain to and, and, and to say it with a straight face that they don't think that the Biden family is corrupt and that there wasn't something really shaky going on when Joe was vice president and shortly after with him and his uh, son, Hunter. The most recent one, this is a great piece today by a frequent guest on this show, John Daniel Davidson at The Federalist. But he points out that uh, James Comer, you know, the uh, the uh, Judicial Committee chairman, James Comer, he, he wants this. Uh, this is what he's requesting from the National Archives. It's an email sent to a Robert Peters. Robert Peters is Joe Biden. That's the name he uses on the emails. And the subject line is, quote, Friday schedule card, and it included an attachment that had details about a scheduled phone call between Joe Biden, who was vice president at the time, and Ukrainian President Petro Poroshenko. This was May 2016. Guess who was the only person copied on the email? Somebody named Hunter Biden. So Joe's out there telling people, I never spoke to Hunter about it. I don't know what he's doing out there. He's on an email talking about a phone call that he's going to make with the leader of Ukraine. Why would he copy or somebody copy Hunter Biden? 
And why would Biden use an alias? To, it's in order to, to get through it. And then and why does he need to get this information to Hunter? What? what well, who cares? What's, he's hunt, it's his son. What? Well, hey, Hunter, I just want to let you know, I don't know what you're doing today, but I just want, in case you were wondering, I'll be talking to the, the president of uh, Ukraine. And so he, he made a phone call uh, uh, with the Ukrainian president. And at that time, Hunter was on the board of Burisma. And then uh, the Bidens are just, it's just so corrupt. So it turns out that the phone call was a big deal, and things happened after that that showed that that Joe was using his influence as a at the time I guess he was yeah he was he, no he was yeah he was vice president he was using his influence at that time to help his son Hunter who just happened to be working for a company called Burisma in Ukraine making eighty three thousand dollars a month. Who looks at this? How do you come out with a straight face and and insult the intelligence of every person who's looking at you and say, "Oh no, this is perfectly normal." The vice president is is uh, is discussing with the country uh, for which he's been named the main uh, envoy by the president of the United States. He's talking to his uh, this guy, and he has a com- has a phone call coming up, and he thought it might be a good idea to let his son know that he was having this phone call. But it's all on the up and up. Don't worry about it. Joe's clean as a whistle. Oh, boy. I'll talk to you tomorrow.